Father, we recognize that you are an awesome God. We recognize that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. The, you hold the entirety of creation, the universe, in the palm of your hand. There is none like unto you. There is no one that can be compared with you because you alone are God. No one else can take that title. No one else can lay that claim. Only you, the creator of the universe in which we live. The one who spoke the word, which called us all forth in creation. The one who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for each one of us, that we might know you. The one that has destroyed sin, the power of death, and has made room for resurrection life. There is none like you, Lord. And Father, we elevate you in our thinking today. Lord, where we have limited you, where we have made you someone that we could accept, or someone that we don't even fear. Lord, we ask, Lord... Let that awe re-enter our hearts today when we consider the greatness of your majesty. Lord, where we have made you in our image instead of being conformed to your image, Lord, let us lay that down today and recognize the wonderful wealth and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has stretched forward 2,000 years to touch us today and will keep working in the lives of millions and billions of people as they turn to you. Lord, let us never cease to hunger after a revelation of the living God. If we think that we have arrived in containing the awesome God in the smallness of our brains, we repent. And Lord, we ask, Lord, speak to us in a deeper way. Let there be mystery in our understanding. Let there be mystery in our revelation. Though we would know truth, the truth that you've revealed, let us also acknowledge that it is too big for us and too deep for us. And simply say, Father, you know, and we glorify you. Today, Lord, feed our spiritual minds, strengthen us, strengthen our spirits, edify us. Lord, let that flesh decrease and let that spirit man become strong and vibrant in us as we feed upon your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. Let's give the Lord a big praise. Wonderful to have you with us today as we start off a brand new series where we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of of God. And this is so apt as we prepare for Easter. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've been in Kensington Temple the last two months, you'll feel that there's a real undercurrent and flow of us uh, focusing very much as a church on evangelism and the desire to make Jesus known. And uh, today we're going to get into quite a theological and deep and meaty, to meaty topic, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, fully, Christ, uh, fully God and fully man. And it's one of the mysteries of the Christian faith. We'll get into that very shortly. But we, we want to tackle this topic head on because we know that it is the sonship of Jesus that comes under constant attack in the world in which we live. It's perhaps uh, that God could become man is perhaps the most controversial aspect of the Christian faith. And it begins as a small little problem. How practically would that happen? which actually is a most profound question, which grows and leads to questions around the appropriateness of Jesus' ministry and ultimately the downright offense of his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, becoming sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him, passing through death, conquering the works of the enemy on behalf of man who had previously been held in captivity to sin because of the failings of Adam. But now the second Adam making room for us right now to be in heaven with Christ. To be part of this kingdom of God being established on the earth. It's a mystery. It's controversial that God became a man. 
And different people handle this difficulty in different ways. The atheist handles this problem by removing God from the equation altogether. There is no God. Look at evolution, the theory of evolution. We've unpacked that many, many times through, uh, from this pulpit. Please do go and make reference to uh, the different teachings available on, that, on our website. But simply, they write off God. Therefore, they do not need to be held accountable to God. And what is interesting, though, is if you sat down with any atheist, you would find that 95% of them have actually tried to believe God at one time or another for a situation in their personal life, and they apparently didn't get an answer. And that's what's led to their uh, desire to exclude God from the equation. Other religions believe that Jesus was just a holy man, and they're quite happy with accepting that, a prophet, one that is sent from high to declare the word of God, but nothing more. Now, Jay Smith, when he ministers here, he always brings out this great point. He's a, a foremost apologist uh, against Muslims when it comes to debating at Speaker's Corner. You can find him there nearly every Sunday. But his response to people who would say, why would God ever become a man that is beneath him? His response is very simple. What, your God's so small that he couldn't become a man if he wanted to? Well, that's limiting God. You're saying God can't do something. God is omniscient. God is all-powerful. God is able to do exactly what he wants to do. Some people say, therefore, that he could only have been a man. He would never, God would never have put on human flesh. Others have a problem with the sinless nature of Jesus. It's interesting, though, that people actually, that's what inspires them the most. I was um, sat on a beach in Mauritius, glory to God, hallelujah. We were on there on mission, but um, sat on the beach having a chat with, well, this is missionary works, having a chat with a Hindu man who was saying, you know, um, I'm, I'm Hindu, I'm a good Hindu, I'm a good man, I know God's going to accept me. And I said to him, listen, let me ask you two questions. If you were to put Christianity next to uh, Hinduism, next to Islam, next to Judaism, which do you believe is the best? He said, uh, Hinduism. Okay, if you were to take Jesus and put him next to Moses, next to Muhammad, or next to one of the millions of gods that you serve. Who's the best? Without question, Jesus. Why is that? Because he was sinless. Okay, and what does that mean? That I can too be sinless if I believe in him. So I said, if that's the truth, why don't you believe in him? Because of my family. If I was to choose that truth, which I know to be superior to every other, my family would disown me. And that was his response. He didn't respond because of culture and community when he had the truth right in the face of him. Others might be religious where they've systematized and simplified the deity of God, lost a sense of the awe that is the person of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the Son of God, and at the same time, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the soon coming King. They've made it into a system and repeating prayers without engaging with the living God. See, radical, true Christianity preaches Jesus, the Son of God, and everything that that entails, his lordship and his servanthood, his savior nature and his eternity, the sheer power demonstrated through his life, the signs, the wonders, the meekness, the gentleness, the unashamed declaration of who he is and what he did in his time on the earth and what is to come in the fulfillment of his destiny and his future. The purpose of this series is to inspire a sense of awe in the glorious person of Jesus. There must always be mystery, but we may see and look into that which is revealed and made plain for us today. So my desire today is that you would be refreshed, renewed, challenged, 
even offended when we look at the person of Jesus. Because as we get offended, we begin to see him for who he really is. Let's leave behind a dull, lifeless, religious sense of following Jesus. And rather, like the angels, gather around the person of Jesus, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, and say, holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty, the lamb that was slain. Today I'm going to look at the mystery of the God-man. Jono next week is going to look at the anointed Messiah, Christian, at the power of the cross. Dudley, at the exchanges which happened at the cross. And then Esteban will look at the power of the resurrection. Acts 2.36. Let all the house of Israel, and today us Gentiles, therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Held within that title, Lord, that is Lord over all creation, Christ, the anointed manhood of Jesus, we have this combination or this mystery of Jesus, the God-man, that he is both fully God and fully man in his time here on the earth, 100% both. Not 50% of one, 50% of the other. He contained within himself the entirety of both. And we need 100% commitment to both aspects, his humanity and his divinity. Otherwise, we end in the place of heresy. And many of the famous heresies of our time find themselves or found themselves in focusing upon one more than the other. They must be held in tension together. That's wherein the mystery lies. Now, if you want to go into this in a lot deeper way, it is available for you in this book, Knowing the Sun. I've tried to take it and make it a bit more accessible for us today um, because this is the 2.30 service where we focus on practicalities. But I have to say that today is quite a biblical theological study as opposed to how we practically apply it. There will be application for us towards the end, but just to highlight that for you. So I need your thinking brains today. Amen? Have I got your thinking brains? Some of you. Some of you just switched off. All right. We want to first look at Jesus, the fully man aspect of Jesus, his humanity. Luke 2, 4 through 7, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And at the same time as this is happening, there's some shepherds in a field and a group of angels appear to those shepherds and declare unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This story of the birth of Jesus sits in the context of a prophetic series of declarations to Mary and to Elizabeth, the mother of Jesus and the mother of John the Baptist, respectively. They were related And we find that Jesus entered the world just like all of us have entered the world. 
but with the most humble of beginnings. Just in my cell in the last week, we've had two wonderful additions to the 300, uh, one named Aaron to Yuhang and Ning, and one named uh, Elliot to Flor- F- uh, Flores and Marissa, who serve here on the team and do the backdrop designs. It's great to have that fantastic news of two additional sons for the house. But they were born in the wonderful hospitals where care and attention was made and every medical need was met. And yet Jesus, born in the most humble place, the place where the cows would eat their food from. And we see the genes of his humanity, his genealogy revealed in Matthew and in Luke where we see that long list of names in Matthew dating back to the person of Abraham in Luke going all the way back to Adam, the son of God. But what was different about Jesus? Jesus was born of a virgin. We know this, Mary. But what are we saying when we say that Jesus was born of a virgin? You know, Muslims will get offended with us because they'll say, what? This is heresy. You're saying that God came and had sex with a woman and fathered a child in that manner. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that God, in the same way that he spoke and all of creation came into being, spoke and was conceived in the womb of Mary via the angel Gabriel. That word that was declared brought forth life in her womb. And that young fetus grew and developed. Mary gave birth to him. In this manger was he laid. And Mary watched Jesus grow. She watched Jesus when he hung out with his brothers. You see, Jesus was born of a virgin, but then Mary went as a mother and multiplied and had many other sons and perhaps even daughters. And we know that Jesus had at least two brothers. And she would watch her firstborn without sin, obedient to his mother while the other two or three are running around disobedient, while the others are running around jealous, while the others are running around going, who is this guy? Why does he think he's so special? Why is mom treating him like he's different? Growing, forming as a man, eating, sleeping, hungering, thirsting, living life like we live life. Making furniture was his profession. Progressing all the way through to the place of his death upon the cross in the form of a human being, in flesh. But what's so special about Jesus as a man? We know that Jesus began his ministry after his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended from above and anointed him as the Christ. Now we see, we'll see Jonathan next week talk a lot more about Jesus walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And all that he did on this earth, he did by dependence and reliance upon the anointing of that Holy Spirit as part of his ministry. But that does not mean to say that that is the point at which he became divine. Rather, his nature as fully God was held in this fully human being right from the moment of conception. From the first time he drew breath and cried out, he cried out as the Son of God. From the age of 13, when he's sitting in the temple ministering to those much older than him, learned in the word, learned in the law, he knows that he's there about his father's business. Right from the very beginning, Jesus knew exactly who he was. 
And we see here at his baptism that as the heavens open and the Holy Spirit comes down and descends upon Jesus, that God makes a declaration. Long before he's done anything, long before he's stepped into his ministry, the Father makes a declaration of Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. See, everything that Jesus ministered, he ministered from the place of this identity, that he was God's Son in the flesh. And one of the things that we see very frequently through the gospel messages is Jesus taking this title, the Son of Man. And it might be a confusing title to some of us, but it expresses some of the, the key aspects of Jesus' humanity. One being that he operated in a unique authority. We know that Jesus simply had to turn up somewhere and demons would begin to tremble. They would begin to say, Jesus, what have you come to do with us? Please don't have anything to do with us because they knew about the unique authority that he carried. The Son of Man was able to dictate the appropriate and correct use of the Sabbath when people came to challenge him saying, listen, why are your disciples eating in the fields? Why are they picking the grains from the, from the wheat? They're doing work. And he'd say, no, the Sabbath is in subjection to the Son of Man. He participated in judgment. When we see the, um, the woman caught in the act of adultery brought to Jesus for judgment, his judgment was to call out of her that which he was unable to and able to because he knew that he would go to the cross for her. And so he released that. Go and sin no more. He would take God's people, us, or those people of the time, and bring them without reservation before the Lord. You know, the high priest, when he would have to go and make ministry before the Lord, he would also have to sacrifice for his own sin. There was some reservation, there was some reliance upon the grace of God that he wouldn't get destroyed, and they had to actually tie a rope around his foot so that in, when he entered into the most holy of holies, if he passed, if the Lord took him, they would be able to pull his body out. But Jesus, without reservation, brings all of us before his Father who is in heaven. And at that time when he was walking on the earth, equally brought people before his Father in heaven in intercession. He had no concern because he was walking in that unique authority. But balancing that out, we have this unique humility. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He served us. He served those there at the time practically getting on his hands and knees, washing the feet of his disciples. He had nowhere to live. He didn't enjoy the materialism that he could quite easily have attracted as a rabbi that had a following of many, many thousands. Imagine if Jesus were to take an offering one day. He wouldn't have had to work another day in his life. Probably his disciples wouldn't have had to work for the rest of their lives. Or rather, he chose the humble place. And he had a unique glory. All of us have a glory which we are to bring before the Lord to give glory back unto him. But the Lord Jesus Christ had a unique glory. The path to glorification, the path to being exalted above every power principality, above everything that is named, above the entirety of creation, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Those are three aspects of his unique nature revealed in this title, the Son of Man. And in his humanity, he re represented the perfection of humanity. 
When he made disciples, he showed us. And when he himself passed through the waters of baptism, he was showing us. How do we live as ideal human beings? In his communion with the Father, in his communication with the Father, he represented to us exactly what is available for us in our speaking to the Lord. Some people ask when we talk about Jesus, fully God, fully man, why did, uh, why did Jesus have to pray to God? Why did Jesus have to pray to the Father? You know, if he was God, he would know. Why would he even talk? We see, this is revealing in humanity something that Jesus has expressed in eternity, the constant relationship and communion with his Father. And here on earth, he practiced that constant communication with the Father through prayer and also demonstrated to us how we too have available for us and open to us, should we choose to take it up as is our invitation, the opportunity to speak to God, the Father, at all times. In his life of the kingdom, and perhaps this is the most telling, Jonathan will carry this a lot more next week, but he demonstrated the opportunities and potential of living the kingdom here on earth. Every miracle, every sign, every wonder, every demon cast out, every word that is declared from the word of the living God, that's what we are able to step into today by the Spirit of God. That's what we are able to live in today. Jesus is our perfect example in his humanity to move life anointed by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of those things that we've just looked at, we'd probably be quite okay with accepting. You know, Jesus can't contradict. He was an awesome guy. But he, some people then stopped there. He was a prophet. He was one of us. A good guy, very good guy. Actually, I couldn't compare myself to him or even try, but he was just human. And this is where we begin to introduce the challenge and the mystery. See, one thing that I haven't really focused on so far is the sinless nature of Jesus. And this is perhaps if some of you have come because of Esteban's question at the 11 where he said, did Jesus cheat? By becoming a man, because if he was God, then he would quite easily be able to not sin if he's God. But this is where we begin to introduce some of the key understandings around that. That Jesus was sinless in his expression of humanity. He was sinless in, from conception and even the manner in which he was born all the way through to his death. He was not born in sin the same way that we are born in sin, but he was born under the law. Because he was born of that virgin and because of the divine nature that was alive within his mother Mary, he has that different nature. Though he is clothed in humanity, he is very much as Adam was, perfect before God with freedom of choice. And from that moment all the way through to his death, he lived sinless. There's some verses that we're going to look at now and then we're going to come back to this theme at the end. But Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Temptation isn't sin. It's giving in to temptation that is the sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there was or is no sin. 
These three writers, key writers, in addition, we have Paul writing a lot on this, but we have the writer to the Hebrews, we have Peter, we have John, we have Paul. The towers of Christianity and the early Christian writings, understanding this key and important point that Jesus was sinless in his humanity. He lived as the second Adam. He was in a place where he wasn't governed or a slave to sin in the same way that we are. But because of his humanity, the human flesh which he was walking in, he had the power to choose. Remember when Cain and Abel had their conflict and Cain sinned? God came and spoke to him and said, sin is crouching at the door but you must rule over it. The same happened for his father, Adam. Sin was crouching at the door when they were tempted to eat that apple, and he didn't rule over it. But Jesus, when he came and he walked the earth as a human being, sin was crouching at the door, but as a second Adam, he ruled over it. He did not allow it to become a part of him. He did not commit sin. He did not enter into sin. And that begins to position him as the perfect sacrifice for us, the perfect substitute for us. And now we want to step into the fully God aspect. Because it's great for a man to aspire. It's great for a man to desire. But we needed it to be Jesus, God and man, to fulfill the work of redemption. So who is it that actually came to dwell amongst us? We've looked at the human beginnings, the human genealogies, but who is the one who clothed himself in flesh? John 1, 1 through 5 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It was like an echo. This passage at the beginning of John reveals Jesus' heavenly genealogy. From the very beginning, we understand that our one God, our one being God, is revealed in three persons. The Father, as highlighted right throughout New, Testament's writing, New Testament writings by John, by Paul, by Peter. Jesus, the Son, the living Word, the Logos, the light of the world, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Logos was with God. So Jesus was with the Father, and the Father was with Jesus. And Jesus, as the Word, is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is equal in nature, equal in type, equal in authority, equal in power, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. And it is the person of Jesus who takes on flesh. The Father remains in heaven. We don't say that the Father took on flesh. Jesus, the Word, took on flesh. And so when Jesus is praying, he's praying to his Father who is in heaven. 
but he is on earth in human form. And just shortly after that amazing passage from John, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it's important that we understand here that this is not a putting off of his divinity or a divestment of his divinity. If you want to know the theological technical term for that, that would be kenosis the putting off of or the emptying of his divinity. I was just joking with Dan before that I need to do some kenosis before coming on the platform. And that's emptying myself of my self-reliance and trust in my intellect and rather saying, God, I need your Holy Spirit, putting on the Holy Spirit. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't put off his God nature and take on human nature. Rather, he added human nature to his divinity. And this is where we begin to enter into this mystery. Jesus, fully God and fully man, both fully being revealed through his nature. Now, the first question we might ask ourselves is, how is it possible to be fully God yet in the body of a man? Colossians 1, 15 through 20 highlights a little bit on this, then we'll read a passage from Philippians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is describing Jesus' role in creation. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Second passage, Philippians 2, and then we'll come back to explain this a little bit. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, reading from verse 5, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But, mother, but rather made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." We see in these two passages, two tensions, the fullness of God dwelling in the person of Jesus, but also Jesus choosing to take the place of humility. And what we must understand by this is that the full capacity of God is in the person of Jesus, but he chose to withhold or limit some of those powers in our perception of them. He did not put them off, but he chose not to make them apparent. And that is revealed in passages such as the the section on the transfiguration. We read of that in Matthew 17. It says, after six days, Jesus took with himself Peter and James and John, his brother, led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. 
But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. We see here an example of how Jesus was able to shield or choose what is revealed or not to those around him. And at will, he decided to be transfigured before his three, the Peter, James, and John. But this wasn't the nature in which he walked around the whole time. We see immediately that they were able to gaze upon him. First, they saw him glorified. They fell to their faces. But when he drew near them and said, don't be afraid, he was restored to such a way as they could behold him. But within him was that God nature. And aspects of that God nature were revealed in different things that Jesus said. The ministry that he did was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But we see that Jesus also made some fantastic claims. The seven I am sayings. Uh, there is more information in the book, and you can also study the, book, uh, the Gospel of John for this. But there are seven aspects which Jesus claims to. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. See, no human can just decide I'm going to glorify myself or reveal my glory as Jesus did in his transfiguration. Moses, when he ascended the mountain of the Lord and brought down the Ten Commandments, his face shone because he'd stood in the presence of God. But that shining faded. He had no control over that. Jesus, in the same way that he could claim or reveal that glorious nature as he did on the transfiguration, was also to lay hold to these seven amazing claims, the I am sayings. And these seven amazing claims reveal some massive implications. We might think, you know, I'm the bread. What's so special about that? No, no, no. I'm the bread of life. I'm the sustainer of your life. We read in that Colossians passage that everything is upheld by the power of his word. I'm the bread of life. I sustain you. No one can sustain you except God. Think about it. If you were to die today, you would not be able to re reanimate or resurrect those cells within your body. You wouldn't be able to do it. You have no power to sustain yourself. But God, in the person of Jesus, says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the one who admits people into the kingdom of God. Only God can choose who enters the kingdom and not. I am the resurrection. Only God can bring forth life where there has previously been death. I'm the one who sacrificially cares for my people. Jesus looked and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. Every day we see people walking around like sheep with no shepherd, and we just leave them to keep wandering. But Jesus chose to come and care for those people who needed to know him. These are the I am sayings of God. And we might want to argue, well, if you look at Mark, you know, Jesus, you know, had this big messianic secret thing. You know, he wouldn't let anybody know who he was. But we see that Jesus doesn't shy away from it. When it comes to the crunch, he identifies himself. As he did with these I am sayings, he also comes out boldly and says, I am the Son of God. We see that in Luke 2, uh, 22, verses 67, well, 69 through 71, where they say to him, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it for ourselves from his own lips. 
Jesus, fully human, born, living, and experiencing everything like we would, but without sin. Jesus, fully God, revealing himself in his person as the Logos, the I am sayings of God, the Son of God. It would all be fantastic claims if they were not underpinned by one amazing truth. We're going to look at more comprehensively at the death and resurrection of Jesus in later messages, but we do need to make this point now. We're not saying that when Jesus went to the cross that God died. What we are acknowledging is that as a human, as a mortal human born under the law, Jesus died. But something powerful began to happen. It wasn't the end. The fantastical claims of Jesus didn't end with his destruction on the cross, which is what the enemy thought would happen. We read in 1 Corinthians how it says that if they had known, they would not have crucified Jesus. If they had but known what would happen next, they would not have dared to kill him because they would have knowingly released the power of God for resurrection. And as Jesus' body was in that grave, the great power of God began to work in him. We see this in Ephesians 1, when the working of his great and mighty power worked in Jesus and raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. And you see, the resurrection power of God revealed in the person of Jesus is the ultimate underline, the ultimate exclamation mark, the ultimate declaration to the world that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He is the son of the living God. He is the one who came to redeem us from the sins of mankind. He is the one who's come to bring us into the relationship with the living God that God had intended from the very beginning. That resurrection was witnessed. 500 people or more saw Jesus after his public execution. 500 people held and handled and spoke with and ate with and observed Jesus after he was publicly crucified in front of his mother, in front of his accusers, in front of the Roman soldiers, in front of his own disciples. That same one that they buried in an airless tomb with hundreds of pounds weighing down on his dead body. And if he hadn't been dead, as some people try and claim, he certainly would have been. A hundred pound of weight sitting on his bruised and battered body. That same body, the power of God began to work, to move, to bring forth resurrection power. But you see, he didn't divest his human nature, having accomplished what he accomplished. Rather, our awesome Savior Jesus put on an immortal human body, still carrying the image of men, but now a man as originally created and intended. A man living in eternity, bringing dominion, bringing the kingdom of God here to this earth. The power of the enemy disarmed, destroyed in that great act of Jesus upon the cross. Hebrews 1, 3, 3 and 4 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much more superior than angels in name as he inherits a more excellent inheritance than them. Right now, in heaven, there is a man. 
Right now, there is a high priest, Jesus Christ, who knows what it is to have lived like me and you live, yet he never submitted to sin. And that perfect sacrifice, coupled with the divine life force that is brought forth in resurrection, enables Jesus to become not just our justifier, but also the one who welcomes us fully into the understanding of who we are in Christ. What does this teach us today? I want to highlight just a few simple points for us. We're going to look next week at this in much more depth, but Jesus, fully God, fully man, depended on God, depended on the Father. He was obedient to him. He walked in submission. He walked in his strength. We need to learn that dependence upon God. How arrogant. When the Son of God himself chose dependence, we choose independence. How arrogant when the one who could quite simply have done it himself chose to rely on God, and yet we daily choose to go and do it ourselves. We need to depend on God. Secondly, we need to know something amazing about God. That in a sense, in a very real way, Jesus was the ultimate, do not be afraid of the Father. He was the ultimate expression of God's desire for us to draw near to him. See, some assume that God is far off, distant, unaccessible, unattainable, yet in the person of Jesus, be not afraid. I'm not saying that Jesus was soft, not at all. Jesus challenged people with the truth, but by the weight of grace that was carried in the words that he declared, he removed and knocked off that fleshly human nature, that human thinking, and released increasingly in the people he ministered to, the new creation nature, sons and daughters of the living God. He was no softy, but he draws us with his beauty, with his power, with his presence. And in this, he invites us into something. Perhaps the most profound truth which might touch us, and I believe God that it would touch for you today. And that is the rewelcoming in, the connection, the inclusion of humanity in the Godhead. See, we are hidden with Christ in God. We were created for communion, for relationship, eternal with God. And right now we have been ultimate, uh, invited into this most holy of covenants. Hebrews 2, 10 through 12 says this, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons, let me add it in as well, and daughters to glory, it's included in that word, but just for, for explicitness sake, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Such a wonderful truth that should touch us in the depth of our being that we can have communion with God. I wonder, are you struggling right now? 
wondering where God is in your situation? Are you wrestling with sin? Are you struggling with hopelessness? You have no assurance of your destiny or where the Lord is taking you to or where this life even might lead. I need to let you in on a powerful truth today. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been made right with God. The glorious God-man, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, has made a way for you today so that you would hear God say to you, I know you. I've cleansed you. You're my son. You're my daughter. The simple invitation today is, will you come to him? Through the work of Jesus on the cross, will you come to know your father? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I would like for us to pray this afternoon. And I'm going to give an invitation to those of you who know that you don't know Jesus, the Son of God, to respond to this today. We're all going to pray, and at the end of this prayer, I would like for you to raise your hands and say, I want Jesus. Let's pray all together. Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you've redeemed us. You've purchased us and you've made us righteous. I want for those of you who are, don't know Jesus here to pray this bit. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But today, I need you to cleanse me of sin to become my Lord and my Savior. Now all together again. Father, we thank you that we can have communion with you. We thank you that we've been brought into relationship with you by the work of Jesus. Lord, let us begin to live from this revelation. Let us begin to live with this great confidence that you are the living God and we can come to you in our time of need. Let's keep our heads bowed. If there are those of you who prayed that for the first time and you know that you need Jesus, I want you to boldly raise your hand up in the air. For the first time, thank you very much to you in the middle. Anyone else that would like to receive Jesus For the first time today, you've prayed that prayer and you know you want the Lord. Be bold today. There's no condemnation in Jesus. There's no condemnation in in Christ. We're not here to make you guilty, but we're here to call you to salvation. And if you need to, you need to respond by simply raising your hand. Is there anyone else? 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lady who's responded here today. Father, we ask for the grace of God to be manifested in her heart and in her life, that she would know you, that she would walk with you, that she would desire you, and that she would see the new creation life that you've placed in her. Bless her, Lord, and draw her near to you in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us, Lord, release on us a fresh anointing, Lord, a a fresh confidence that when people come to challenge and test our faith, let us have those words at hand in heart that Jesus is fully God, yet fully man. At the same time, a great mystery, but a mystery which undergirds and supports and establishes our faith, that we would grow fully to be all that you've called us to be as your sons and daughters in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. Wonderful. If you want more of this, Knowing the Sun is available for you. It's on reduced price out of the book table. Some great profound truth in that. Do join us at the 5 and 7 o'clock. Bruce Atkinson is going to be ministering at the 5 o'clock in a powerful way on Israel and the Bible and understanding where the people of Israel originated from and how that has led to us today having a revelation of Jesus. Then tonight at our ministry service, Bruce is going to be preaching and our senior minister, Colin Dyer, is going to be partaking in the ministry time. So do join us for a fantastic time in the Holy Spirit. God bless you as you start to make your way. Do remember Wednesday and Thursday evenings, our courses start Wednesday on Counseling one Thursday Kingdom Finance. We would love to see you for those exciting courses that are available for you. God bless you. Do stop by and say hi to the welcome team just as you're making your way out. They're located there at the back. If you're new, we'd love to meet you, help you find your place here in the church. God bless you. See you all very soon.